I was just uh, I was just in one of my stops today at my job, and I noticed a sign that they've had in the break room for quite some time now, but it never really registered in my brain what the sign was saying because it's in like that live laugh love kind of like style of presentation on a wooden (laughs) easily ignored yeah it looks like a piece of driftwood the board that it's on and it's in that it like indented colored text and it says be a warrior not a worrier and i'm like (laughs) wait a minute this is this is a plastics production facility there's a lot to worry about in there (laughs) (laughs) what does that even mean i I also love that, like, I'm sure the people are like, oh, do you like the reclaimed wood on this sign that I got from <laughs> Amazon.com? Right. <laughs> it just, like, really struck me because I could tell that it was supposed to be inspirational. It's real, like, shoot for the moon, and even if you miss, you'll make twelve fifty an hour. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it just, like, had this energy that once I realized what was going on there, I was like, wow, this is kind of, like... It's a bit dark because, like, I don't know, if you have a relatively dangerous job, the last thing you should be is a warrior who doesn't care if they get injured. Yeah, That's it's terrible. Like working in a giant steel factory with the song Don't Worry, Be Happy playing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm just imagining, you know, like one of those workers at one of the Amy's Kitchen factories, like mm-hmm. going into the company doctor after, you know, one of the three incredibly repetitive motions they're forced to do a million times an hour has given them carpal tunnel or some other repetitive motion injury. And the guy just pulls out his prescription pad and writes, be a warrior, not a worrier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Getting dressed down by the company doctor as he yeah. screams, are you a warrior or a worrier? Are you a man <laughs> or a mouse? Be real. <laughs> Toughen up. Brother. Salt life. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> no, just yelling slogans from bumper stickers until it's somebody goes away. It's a cheap thing. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> uh, that's right. Yeah. No, I just kind of want to like Photoshop that into old like, like late eight uh, 19th century pictures of industrial labor. So you've got like a sign <laughs> over like a West Virginia coal mine that says, be a warrior, not a worrier. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, shitty uh, feel good bumper sticker slogans that companies will try to shove down your throat. <laughs> everybody your favorite <laughs> labor podcast my name yeah, is john i think we're kind of selling ourselves short there with that one <laughs> i'm dan and i am lena and we're an entirely listener supported show we don't put these rad ideas on bumper stickers like maybe we should so any money that you give us on patreon is so greatly appreciated if you're not in the discord already hop in there it's completely free if you are a patron and you don't have any stickers yet all you have to do is message us on patreon.com and if you want to help the show a little bit more you can leave a five-star review anywhere that you think will help uh write it on the backs of a bunch of macaroni boxes that are still on the shelves in a store well, and i and i think that you know once we hit 200 patrons maybe we can get into the bumper sticker business because that's mm. when we plan to open up the store that's and then true. I'll open the show by saying we are a mostly listener-supported show, but I'm not sure everyone who buys a bumper sticker actually listens. They might just like <laughs> the pithy things we have to say. <laughs> yeah. 
we're not going to make any money on the store. That's no. the reason why we're waiting until we have so many patrons. Yeah. Well, I mean, bef- before we pivot to becoming a uh, bunch of folks that only hawk bumper stickers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we can get into our stories this week. Uh, first off, a quick follow-up with the folks that have been on strike at Cisco, which we talked about last week. Um, so there have been folks striking at Cisco in Syracuse and Boston. And we discussed the whole strike last week. And since we discussed that, the workers in Syracuse have actually finished their strike because they won their portion of the demands. So as we mentioned, over 200 members of Teamsters Local 317 had been on strike since late September over a proposed new contract from the, you know, from Cisco, who was the second largest food service company in the country, I believe. Maybe, might be the first at this point. I'm not sure. But the contract that they had proposed had a problem where it was proposing decent wages for tractor-trailer drivers and basically nothing for anybody else. And so in order to prevent the implementation of this sort of two, like de facto two-tier system, the, all of the workers had been on strike. So this new contract, with which workers just recently ratified uh, late last week, both drivers and warehouse workers will now get raises of over $6 an hour, uh, especially considering that the previous offer from Cisco was basically to give the warehouse workers nothing. So mm-hmm. um, workers also won more regular shifts. So the company is going to make available more of your standard, like five day, eight hour schedules instead of a more irregular one that you know sort of moves around. Uh, additionally, workers forced Cisco to abandon a proposal that would also have been a sort of backdoor two-tier item where they were planning on denying new hires the ability to take two consecutive days off. So that got killed by the strike too, which is really great to see. Yeah, I mean, these are really big gains, especially making sure that there's that kind of parity between the drivers and the warehouse workers is huge. I mean, we harp on two-tier and de facto two-tier systems is being really, really awful on this show all the time. And you have the principal executive for Teamsters Local 317, Mark May, who told Syracuse.com, quote, it's a good agreement and we are happy. They removed some of the big problem areas. We didn't want this to be a problem for the customers, but we didn't have a choice. Our members felt it was very important to stand up to that for the new hires. So it's really good to see that they're keeping the new hires in mind too, because as soon as you let the company do something like revoke two you know, consecutive days off from people who just started at the company you start free falling back into another two-tier system again just like you said dan yeah and then also we still have the 300 boston teamsters at cisco who are still on strike because the company continues to refuse to contribute to the workers pension plan and basically trying to force them into a 401k plan And then, uh, I mean, we're recording this on Monday, October 17th. The police have attacked the picket lines at the Cisco headquarters and arrested several of the striking workers. So yet again, the repressive state apparatus strikes. Yeah, like this just happened (laughs) this morning that we're recording. I really couldn't find any information before we, we, we sat down to talk about this on specifically like what the justification from the police was for going after the strikers. Like we know the reason is because they want to break the strike, but like, I don't know what their supposed justification for, for going after these workers was. So we'll have to keep folks posted on that on next week's show. But uh, I can't exactly imagine (laughs) that arresting a bunch of workers on the picket line is going to be amenable to making the teamsters stop striking. Like, 
I don't know. Like that didn't work on a much smaller picket line here by me in, in, in like in Pawtucket here. And I don't know why they think it would work on these, these 300 teamsters in Boston. So if anything, I have to imagine this is really just going to double the teamsters resolve to win mm-hmm. exactly what they're fighting for. So, but I also just wanted to point this out because like, I think the listeners probably know at this point, but it's like, this pattern keeps emerging because like, this is one of the cops primary functions. Like in addition to, you know, their role in, in enforcing white supremacy by attacking, you know, the, the black and Brown communities in this country. One of their biggest purposes is be basically being attack dogs for corporations and Cisco is enormous. So their level of pull with local governments is pretty high. So uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that they had a role in getting the police out here to go after these strikers. So we will definitely keep folks posted as this strike develops. Certainly. Yeah. We're really hoping that these Boston teamsters can see the same kind of success that their coworkers in Syracuse have seen. And speaking of workers seeing success, we want to follow up right. with the Philly artwork who at the Philadelphia Museum of Art have ended their three-week strike late last week after the museum was forced to agree to their demands. Uh, This new contract passed with 99% of the workers voting to ratify, so pretty good indication that the terms of the contract are quite good. Uh, And this happened yesterday as of recording, Sunday, October 16th. And workers, these workers won raises of 14% over a three-year contract, including retroactive raises to July 1st. They also won a higher minimum wage of 1675 for workers, which is an increase of 12% over the previous minimum of 15. They also won seniority raises for long-term employees and a massive 50% cut to the cost of their current health care plan. As well, they also won four weeks of paid parental leave, limits on the use of temporary and subcontract workers, and the creation of a pay equity committee. I mean, that's really huge. I'm not used to, yeah. to running out of breath trying to rattle off the things <laughs> workers have won in a new contract. Yeah, I'm really, and I'm really oh, interested in what the pay equity committee is mm-hmm. uh, is going to be doing, and and like I guess when we see, you know, usually when you file for a union election, the uh, the company is required to actually give the wages of all of the workers to the union, right. um, and so uh, we, you know that can be one of the organizing factors, but they only really give that uh the information of the employees i mean management and upper management are still uh you know private information and so maybe this committee could even uh look at uh the wages of everyone in the business yeah absolutely i also feel like having a worker committee that looks at that is going to be one of the best like ways for the union to fight back against attempts by management at the museum mm-hmm. to implement any sort of pro like any kind of sexism or favoritism or attacks on seniority, this like level of oversight that the workers will have, I think will probably be really useful. And I agree. It's, it's, it's one of the more interesting in the contract provisions. One though, that I thought was really big. Cause I mean, the, the little reporting I saw on this mostly focused on the wages, which are big wins, but that paid parental leave mm-hmm. is huge because previously the workers had none. They had no paid parental leave at all, and now they have a month. And obviously, you know, workers should have more than a month of parental leave. But going from nothing to four weeks, I think, is a pretty huge win. And 
especially in face of, of how much these workers were underestimated because museum officials have basically openly stated they didn't believe that the workers would be able to maintain the strike for a long period. They assumed that like the worker solidarity would break and a bunch of people would cross the picket line, which uh, <laughs> extremely did not happen. <laughs> uh, they tried to continue running the museum with scabs, but uh, the timing of this agreement is not really like... Uh, it's not a coincidence because next weekend, uh, starting on the 20th, the museum was scheduled to host a really big new exhibit on the French painter Matisse. And this, I think, is clearly shows that they their hopes that they could break the union or their alternative that they they could run the museum with scabs. That all clearly came to a head this weekend, and they were like, okay, we got to just settle this. We can't, yeah. we, we can't do this, and they're not breaking – Fuck it. Give them what they want. Make them come back. We got to have this exhibit. Yeah. <laughs> I gonna... mean, I remember when they were saying, you know, do you really trust your priceless pieces of art with people yeah. who are untrained, who aren't specifically you know, knowledgeable about how this facility works and all of that? I mean, I bet it is an actual concern, especially for, you know, such a big exhibit like that. And uh, I almost I bet that they were almost threatened that they would not be able to even put on that exhibit, you know, without the the proper staffing. I mean, yeah, and also Matisse is one of those ones where, you know, if you're an art historian, you probably have dozens of painters that you like more than Matisse. But like Matisse, Van Gogh, and Rembrandt are the big three that people who don't give a shit about art know anyway. Right. And so they're really worried that like this is a big ticket event for them. This is probably the biggest event that they'll do all year or maybe for a couple of years. And so it's like... It's really important that workers identify those kinds of things and use whatever kind of leverage that they can get. Very similar to when warehouse workers strike right before the Christmas season or, or right. something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And so like uh, Maya Wind, who is a graphics editor who has been at the museum for over 30 years, uh, told the Philadelphia Inquirer, quote, we were able to hold out for the contract that we deserve. We actually deserve a lot more, but we won the strike. We definitely won the strike. So we're going to go back and we're going to be very strong, end quote. So congratulations yeah. again to these workers for kicking ass and taking names and, and getting a really great new contract. Yeah. Uh, our next follow-up is a fucking wild story. So we have been talking about the Medieval Times Union for a you know a little while now, and we know that they've won in um, was it two locations, right? They they won in New Jersey and they I think they've only they filed, filed in, in the second one in California. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, the company itself says that the the union is breaking trademark law with its yeah. logo, saying uh, or basically accusing them of since they have like swords in their logo and like a medieval font that they are causing customer confusion and that the the name Medieval Times Performers United is some sort of of issue with their trademark and so <laughs> like I, this is the wildest thing like we have like Starbucks workers united we have uh like Amazon uh labor Amazonians the Amazon united. yeah Amazonians united and the Amazon labor union are, do you think people are confusing that with Amazon no, like, and I, like our <laughs> our customers trying to show up at medieval times and accidentally arriving at a guild hall? No. It's just not happening. <laughs> yeah. And like the this whole thing is just so it's so petty ultimately I think is mm -hmm. 
is the biggest takeaway for me because they're like, oh, they're threatening the goodwill of medieval times. Like, the, like what the, goodwill, is, motherfucker? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> Your business is known as the place where, like, I don't know, like upper middle class suburbanites go to get fucking hammered and like sexually harass the event staff. Like, <laughs> I don't know what this established goodwill is supposed to be. And then they have the, they roll this out in their lawsuit saying, quote, the elements featured in the medieval times performers logo, i.e. castle, swords, old script style text, all resemble elements of medieval times branding and Middle Ages-themed decor, which are clearly meant to evoke Medieval Times' unique image, end quote. Really unique. <laughs> like, unlike all of those games that I played as a kid? Yeah, well, <laughs> the thing I was wondering is, I'm like, look, if if Medieval Times, the Medieval Times Union's logo is a violation of Medieval Times' trademark because it has, like, swords <laughs> and old English style script in it. Like why haven't they sued game of Thrones or world of Warcraft or fucking Lego? <laughs> like do, do, I don't just like, it's as if they think they have a trademark on anything referencing th- like the middle ages. <laughs> yeah. Or are they going to sue game of Thrones next? It's like, not, a co- it. it's, it's, it's not part of history. No, it's specifically owned by medieval times. LLC. Yeah, I, I don't know. The whole thing is stupid. Like, and then that's it's uh, thankfully what the unions basically said. the The American Guild of Variety Artists, which is the the union with which the Medieval Times Performers Union is affiliated, has quite correctly called the lawsuit frivolous and has said that they may file ULP charges against Medieval Times for filing such a ridiculous lawsuit. Good. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, give it to them. Give them the business, because fuck them. This is, this is ridiculous. If this were a, a legitimate complaint that a company could levy against a union, it would have happened hundreds of times by now. And I know yeah. that like we, we exist in a time where the government and the NLRB and everybody else like will rule in favor of corporations in situations where they never have before. But this one is just like a little bit too fucking far. Like, if, if Medieval Times gets away with this, I swear to god i'm gonna like eat it's all like, of my leather armor from when i was in high school yeah, I, like i do they really expect like that you have to have a union that is entirely disassociated like like there can't be a plumber's union because uh plumbing companies have the word plumbing in their name right like are yeah. you fucking kidding me yeah it it's stupid and like thankfully though i really liked their statement that they put out about this where they said quote It is a grotesque attempt to retaliate against workers for exercising their legally protected right to form a union and bargain collectively, but it will fail. It will not only embolden Medieval Times employees at its New Jersey castle to fight harder for a fair contract, it will inspire the employees at its other castles across the country to organize and do the same. Hell yeah. Love to see that. And maybe not just Medieval Times castles. Maybe eventually Cheesecake Factory castles and (laughs) P.F. Chang's castles and so on. (laughs) Or White Castles. For instance. There we go. (laughs) Hell yeah. Well, shifting gears, we're going to move over to our Amazon Watch segment. Wee wee. (laughs) (laughs) Just having a soundboard, but only for when we talk about Amazon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so this past week, we've actually seen a ton of strikes happen, mostly due to it being Prime Week, which, you know, is a, an intensification of labor for the workers with no mm-hmm. additional benefit. 
I mean, uh, the first on Sunday, October 9th, 280 workers on the night shift at the HAM2 facility outside Hamburg, Germany, walked out on strike, demanding better pay and benefits. And then Tuesday on the 11th, workers in Georgia and Illinois uh, went on strike demanding higher wages. I mean, specifically, the workers in the Stone Mountain, Georgia facility, who had previously presented demands uh, to management, walked out uh, demanding $24 an hour. And uh, basically, you know, saying that wages are not keeping up with the soaring cost of inflation and the cost of living. Uh, And one worker told More Perfect Union, in the summer, we organized for a $3 an hour raise. Instead, all we got was a 50 cent raise and a second prime day. And I don't know what a second prime day means here, but that sounds bad. It's just like a fake thing that Amazon keeps rolling out where they're like, you can get crazy deals on Amazon for a day or a week or, or however long. Yeah, it's 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 how they dump their excess inventory. Mm-hmm. Like they they will bombard you for a couple of weeks with emails about how they're going to have all these incredible deals. And they'll they'll put markdowns on like Amazon specific items mm-hmm. and then a lot of shit that they just have that they can't sell. <laughs> And it makes it a huge pain in the ass for these workers. Because, like, when we were we talked before, uh, like, about um, Jose Ronaldo Motafrias, who was killed at the New Jersey warehouse, that was during the first Prime Week this year. And so this is the second one, which are 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 like it's ba- like basically adding another peak season on top of like the holidays. Yeah, so for, it's just more more labor intensification. Uh, yes, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I guess continuing continuing with uh, you know what happened in Illinois, this one was uh, in Joliet, which is you know actually one of the most critical warehouses in Illinois due to the uh, cross dock setup, uh, which is basically you know how they transfer goods from one warehouse to another across the state. Uh, we, workers at that facility walked out demanding twenty five a twenty five dollar minimum wa- or twenty five dollar an hour wage and strong health and safety policies, most likely because their work conditions are insane. Yeah, Yeah. and I love seeing these demands for $24 and $25 an hour because, I mean, we've said it a few times on this show, but there are still people who are stuck on the idea that $15 an hour is the wage that we need to be fighting for. And, like, I appreciate that you want to raise people's wages, but it needs to go much higher than that in the year of whoever, 2022. Uh, (laughs) So in a a letter that these workers, the the MDW2 workers, uh, sent to Amazon CEO Andy Jassy, they said, quote, almost every day at MDW2, there's a workplace in. We work in a hostile work environment and experience racial threats of violence. We work in dirty and unsanitary conditions and experience sexual harassment. When we have tried to bring our concerns to management, we are either threatened, ignored, or terminated. We deserve better. We deserve to be heard. Yeah, and this stuff, like with these protests, and again, like these are at at facilities that have not filed for a union election. They haven't affiliated with the ALU or as far as I'm aware, any other like union movement. And what I think is so important to take away from these things is why it's so galling when we hear from companies, when there is a union drive announced that like, look, no, we, we, we respect our employees uh, wishes, but we really think that we can handle any issues that come up in the workplace with having that individual relationship between the worker and, and us. And we can hammer out any of these problems. And like, 
it's condescending on the face of it. And, and like, you know, as socialists or unionists, we may know this off the top of your head that it's bullshit, but like, that's literally what these folks have been trying to do for months and months and months coming to management and being like, these are literally deadly working conditions. Mm -hmm. And I know, I remember earlier in the summer, the workers had let a walkout at this place, this facility in Joliet because there were racist death threats found written in like the bathroom stalls in, in that facility. And yet again, none of this stuff gets fixed. So like when companies say that stuff about how, when they're third partying the union, like we, of course we know it's just part of the union busting plan, but like it's, so incredibly patronizing to the workers because it's just lying to their face by saying, Hey, you know, the stuff you tried to do already and we just ignored. Well, what if you tried it again? Maybe we wouldn't ignore you. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's such bullshit, but like, that's why it's so good to see these workers being like, no, fuck you. <laughs> like we, we deserve these, these wages that we can actually live on. We deserve to have conditions we can actually live in and not get fucking killed. And so, like, it was also great to see that in addition to these workers in Georgia and Illinois, there were also two, some big developments from workers in California because uh, on Friday, on October 14th, workers at the KSBD Air Hub in San Bernardino, which is, uh, we've talked about before, they're one of only six air hubs in the country, so one of the most, like, critical logistics nodes in Amazon's network, they launched a ULP strike on Friday to basically demand that like Amazon actually recognize the problems at the facility and agree to their demands because like they, these folks had protested early a few weeks ago, earlier this year, uh, specifically demanding a $5 an hour raise heat related breaks every hour during hot days and improvements for safety at the facility. I mean, specifically one of the things that these workers have to deal with that a lot of others don't, is the potential for hearing loss because a lot of these workers are around jet engines all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're not rotating folks into quieter areas every once in a while, in addition to providing them, you know, with, with really good level of hearing protection, then you could have people come away with like permanent hearing damage at places like this. So like they have a quote from, uh, a worker at KSBD Rex Evans, who told, vice about the way that Amazon has been flooding their warehouse with union busting consultants saying, quote, they harass the associates. They're paying these people very well to come in and try and keep us from speaking our rights. If they can pay those people, they can pay us the $5, especially for a company like Amazon, which makes profits in the billions every year. End quote. Absolutely. Which, yeah. I mean, what's the number that gets thrown around a lot that we know they were paying? Like, <laughs> Like thirty two hundred dollars a day, I think, or something. For, yeah, for almost some of certainly. These. That's that's pretty normal. I I think that the lowest it usually goes down to is about eighteen hundred dollars a day. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I can't even imagine. That's crazy. And then, so one final thing on our Amazon watch though this week, uh, we'd previously mentioned that workers at the Moreno Valley facility, also in the Inland Empire area of uh, Southern California, had affiliated with the ALU and this past Wednesday, October 12th, the workers there at ONT8 officially filed their petition with the NLRB for a union election. So uh, that's another big one because obviously this week we should hear the announcement of the results of the union election at the ALB1 facility uh, right outside Albany. And so now we've got another place with a, with a, for another election to be scheduled. So like, Again, despite these attempts by Amazon to, you know, 
hold off on recognizing JFK 8, harass the union organizers as much as they can, clearly is not working to stop employees from being like, no, we do need a union. So really excited to see all these developments from Amazon workers. Yeah, Mm -hmm. really looking forward to hopefully another grand victory. And I guess speaking of victories, we have another one in Oklahoma City where Apple workers have uh, just ratified or I guess voted for the state approval of their union. Uh, The workers in Oklahoma City uh, organizing uh, with the CWA just won their election uh, 56 to 32. Uh, yeah. So we're very excited for them. We know that they were also, uh, you know, there's a lot of solidarity between them and uh, the uh, worker Alicia Humphreys Starbucks that we had spoken to on that uh, episode that we did with her. Basically how, you know, they, they had been showing uh, solidarity with some of the Apple workers and those are basically in the same area. So it's it's really good to see that that solidarity has helped them as well. Yeah, and it also just comes a few weeks after we saw uh, workers in Towson, Maryland at a different Apple store uh, vote to unionize with the machinists. Or this is a few months ago, excuse me. Yeah, so now we have two unionized retail Apple stores. And this is despite Apple rolling out the full Littler Mendelssohn playbook against these workers because of folks, if you've been listening for a while, will know that while we now have two unionized stores, there are two other locations that we had been talking about who had been forced to like temp delay their elections because of Apple's union busting. This would be Mm -hmm. both uh, stores in Atlanta and in New York City. And it was no different at the store in Oklahoma City. Amazon rolled out most of the same stuff that we hear from that workers face at Starbucks, as well as many other uh, places that hire the uh, evil mercenaries at Littler Mendelssohn to run their union busting campaign. Like uh, Apple worker and union organizer Michael Forsyth told More Perfect Union that (laughs) the store had brought in so many managers to do one-on-ones and captive audience meetings that they ended up running the store with skeleton crews because the workers were spending so much time in like these one-on-ones and pull-away meetings to try and figure out who was a union supporter and try and bust the union that they didn't have enough people to actually do the work of running the store. So like, this is again, one of those things where you look into like when companies talk about how oh, unions will make it inefficient to run our business, they don't give a shit about that. They just don't want to give up the control and the money. Like they'll happily destroy their own productivity. And as we'll talk about in the Starbucks segment, close down their own stores, even when they're profitable, if they're worried about that threat of losing power. And I mean, like, Workers have said specifically that the things that they were organizing around at this store were low wages, constantly shifting job descriptions, and a lack of transparency for management. Like uh, Forsyth told the New York Times, quote, some people have been in their current role for years trying to get promoted and are not really getting anywhere. But whenever they get feedback on an interview for a promotion, what they get is very subjective goals. And I mean, during this campaign, of course, they 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 had all the tried and true standard talking points, calling the union a third party, 
claiming that workers would lose flexibility in their schedules if they unionized and claiming that any contract, union contract, would have provisions that would make things worse for workers. <laughs> yeah, it really seems like they've kicked this whole union-busting campaign way up into top gear, uh, kind of following up uh, when the first store unionized in Maryland. And so they've, uh, in addition to hiring Littler Mendelssohn, they've, they've also given out pay raises at all the stores and then yep. sent workers messages telling them the union won't get them anything, which is hilarious because the union just got them those pay <laughs> <Yes>. raises. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so funny when they do when they do that combination of like, we're going to give you new wages and benefits. Also, the union is useless. It's like, but <laughs> they really hope that people believe in the benevolence of the company. They really, yeah. they really yeah. think that 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 is going to be some sort of uh, measure that's going to be like, see, we're actually good, and you haven't done anything. You, we didn't lose. I'm not crying. Leave me alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so um, on Wednesday, October 5th, the union filed ULPs with the NLRB, alleging that Apple broke labor law by holding captive audience meetings, threatening to withhold new perks from stores that unionize, and telling staff that supporting a union would be futile, all of which are, in fact, violations of the NLRA. Mm-hmm. Um, because Apple, again, at the beh- at the recommendation of Littler Mendelssohn, almost certainly anyway, did has been doing like basically that Starbucks plan where they they roll out benefits such as more reimburse, reimbursements for college tuition, lower healthcare premiums in some states, as well as raises, all for non-union stores, and then claiming they can't give those things to unionized stores because of status quo. Again, as we've mentioned before, a complete lie. Which has um, been ruled against so many times. Yes. And I mean, the reason why Littler Mendelssohn keeps pushing this is because they see no actual repercussions for this. Because right. at the very worst, the company will have to retroactively provide the benefits they have already promised to the union. And that the only and then by that, the company only benefits in the rhetoric that they're pushing that basically results in in union busting and and hoping that workers are swayed away from collective struggle. Right. And like to that point, just the week prior, the NLRB did hit Apple with a complaint about these actions, uh, saying that they discriminated against union supporters at the New York City store using their no solicitation policy to try and get around the requirement to allow workers to post uh, to talk about the union. Um They had also prohibited workers from placing flyers in the break room while allowing such flyering for other non-union activities, which is basically a textbook violation of the NLRA. Uh, Apple has said they will appeal these charges, but that does go to the point where like, even when you have like a well-meaning employee on the NLRB who openly recognizes this illegal union busting, like even if Apple has to accept this complaint, all they have to do is like tell the, their workers, Oh, we weren't supposed to do all that stuff. Also, we have to post this notice the NLRB gave us. Like, that's it. Yeah, it costs them a quarter of a penny because it's just a piece of paper they print out. (laughs) Right. But thankfully, in Oklahoma City, as Lena said at the top of the episode, this shit did not work because workers filed for the union election before the union drive got kicked into, the anti-union drive got kicked into full gear with just over 70% of workers signing cards in favor of the union. And by the time the union vote was held, as Lena said, with a vote of 56 to 32, that's about 64% of workers voting in favor. So while they did lose a little bit of support, like post-filing, 
they really didn't lose that much, which I think is a really good testament to the work that these folks did before they filed and the way that like the workers on the ground and the CWA work together to help inoculate folks against the these sorts of union busting tactics. Well, and so. I love that. It reminds me a lot of the union drive that we went through because we actually managed to blindside the company and keep the whole thing under wraps until the NLRB told them that we had filed for a union. And it looks like, uh, and that was really successful for us. I mean, besides the fact that we had a post-union busting campaign that was highly successful. But but, but regardless of that, these workers have seen uh, the ability to actually organize really well, you know, underground and, and then win because of that really successful tactic. Yeah. And so, like, CWA District Director Derek Osabase told the Oklahoma City Free Press, quote, the courage that these workers demonstrated was just out of this world, and we're really proud that they stuck together, end quote. Hell yeah. Yeah. Now, I think that this next one is so cool. Like, really, uh, we're going to be talking about some T-Mobile workers who have just launched an independent union drive. Basically... They, they, I just want to, I, I want to jump straight to the details. I, I keep wanting to get like really into like just my favorite part, but we'll start at the beginning. Um, so, you know, in relation to the ongoing drives at places like Verizon, Apple, REI, and other companies, uh, you know, the T-Mobile workers have decided that they need to fight back and form a union, especially because these particular workers are are remote workers and have been remote workers since even before the pandemic, and the company is trying to force them into an office. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess on October 12th, they, you know, let management know that they were fi- that they were going to that they have a union and they asked for voluntary recognition. The way in which they did this is through a company-wide meeting where everybody is in a Zoom call and the union announces that it exists and then the workers all changed their Zoom backgrounds to the union's logo to demonstrate their solidarity. And I just love imagining the the managers and bosses being in that meeting and starting to panic and just <laughs> seeing this like wall of union logos and just being like, oh, holy shit. The next six months to two years of my life are going to be a living hell. And I just like, I'm just here for it. I love watching them squirm. I, ima- I, love, a, I love imagining them cowering in fear as they sit there and watch the power of the workers. Yeah, I just like to think there's one guy who they reached out to. They were like, you didn't have the union background. Can we talk to you? And he's just like, oh, I'm in the union. I just changed my background to Crazy Frog a couple of years ago and don't know how to change it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm also just like, oh, did they also like all change their name on Zoom to Spartacus? So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also love the name of their union. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the T four Social Care Alliance. <laughs> I I was like, you know, following that up after the medieval times workers, like this one is definitely not getting trademark. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, T four Social Care Alliance sounds like a Power Rangers spinoff where they form right? like a Megazord or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's yeah. great. But yeah, so. These workers, these are specifically uh, 300 customer service workers, and they're 
workers and they primarily focus on helping customers over social media. So that's why they're the, the social care alliance. And that has, is something that workers have talked about really creating some unique organizing challenges because of course, since their work is already remote, these are workers all over the country. So it's not like with so many, you know, of your standard union drives where everybody sees that pool of shared interest because you're all going to the same factory or, or, or whatever, same workplace every day. Uh, so that creates some some choices that you have to make as part of your organizing campaign when everybody's not in the same physical space. And like so many of these union drives that we cover, the inspiration for this drive came out of the beginning of the pandemic when workers naturally formed group chats to talk about all the stuff about their jobs that sucked. (laughs) And eventually, you know, those chats grew to the point where people were like, you know what, maybe we do need a union. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yeah and so the workers say that their union drive was for was uh, launched primarily due to two issues one of which lena mentioned which is the fact that t-mobile is now attempting to force all remote workers back into the office which that's something we've seen at a ton of companies that shifted to remote work during the pandemic but it's a little different to see it here for these these customer service workers because they were already working remote so mm-hmm. The idea that suddenly they have to come into the office, like for so many workers, I think there's been a realization that like, wait, why was I going into the office? And that like, why, why was this supposed to be better in the first place? And it's launched some conversations, which I think are pretty, pretty useful talking about. It's like the, the, the role of that office space, that centralized location as a means of like management control. Because, like, it's one of those things that I think obviously drives managers crazy if they can't come and just stand behind you and, like, look at your screen 24-7 to make sure you're not surreptitiously stealing time by, by not working on whatever task they gave you. But at the same time, I think part of why that bothers people in management positions so much is because without that shared office space, it might leave some of both the workers and the upper levels of management to wonder why do we have so many levels of middle management in the first place? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, absolutely. I mean, there are, it's, it's very ridiculous how, you know, what you have like people managing like this group of 10 workers, that manager has two other managers above them. It, it really seems pretty, uh, pretty ridiculous that those positions even exist. Yeah. And, and it just completely wipes out any even theoretical justification that, T-Mobile could have for why they would be forcing these workers into the office because obviously many workers who previously had been in offices don't want to go back because they've been able to do their jobs just fine from home and because uh, despite what you may hear from supposedly the most pro-union president of all time, the pandemic (laughs) still very much exists. There are still thousands of people in this country dying every week and the people most likely to get sick and suffer the consequences are folks that are forced into a cramped working environment. Like we've seen, you know, it's, it's more people in like retail facing jobs or people in like small production offices. Like, you know, we've talked about how obviously 
nursing care workers, folks in meatpacking plants, mm-hmm. folks yeah. in delis and at close restaurants. Close quarters, consistent, you know, times in close quarters, you know, basically right. creating higher viral loads that people ingest and and more likely to, you know, get these, you know, viruses and, and things like that. And uh, yeah, it, it, exactly. it's really, it's really common. And there's just no... Like, there's really no justification for telling these workers they have to come into the office, risk getting each other sick, and, you know, permanently harming their health. For for what? So that the manager can physically look, like, leer over their shoulder while they're mm-hmm. working? Like, all their work is online. It's, it's just ludicrous. And in addition, the workers have also said that recently the company changed the way that workers earn bonuses on the job and the way that their their pay is structured for these customer service workers is that those bonuses are like they're not like one of those like nice nice to have bonuses that managers mm-hmm. get it's like if you, it's one of those where if you don't get those bonuses it might be tough to pay the bills and those changes to the bonus system has cut some workers pay by thousands of dollars so and this is all coming at the same time that T-Mobile has cut nearly 20,000 jobs since they merged with Sprint, which, by the way, when they merged with Sprint, of course, they told the government, like, regulators, oh, no, don't worry. This merger will create jobs. Which, every time a company says that, that's a lie. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, the workers have no trouble seeing that these kind of things are lies because you have, like, Tyler right. Roquemore, who is a worker organizer at T-Mobile, who told The Verge, quote, we believe T-Mobile's senior leadership stopped prioritizing the best interest of its frontline employees. The primary purpose of forming this union is to protect ourselves from further pay cuts and layoffs during unprecedented economic hardships, which may include collective bargaining contracts, which I love and is a great quote, and the only problem that I have with it is that T-Mobile didn't stop prioritizing your best interests. They just intensified not giving a shit. Uh, and like, yeah. the, the proof is in the pudding. T-Mobile has been a fiercely anti-union company for a long time. Back in 2017, which is five years ago, feel old yet? A lawsuit forced the company <laughs> to eliminate anti-union policies in their workplace, such as banning workers from discussing their wages and benefits through a illegal. confidentiality agreement. Yeah, exactly. Illegal. As well as banning workers from discussing unsafe conditions also even more wildly illegal, illegal. yeah <laughs> yeah i also think that that quote really highlights how workers know that things are going to get worse we we yeah. see the way that the economy is going things are not going to get better we are going to see inflation rate continue to rise we are going to see more deaths we are going to see more immiseration larger workplace intensification uh, I mean, we know that this is the case, and the only way that we will ever have the ability to protect ourselves is through collective struggle. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so good to see a union like this popping up now with workers really— because that's another thing I think that is is really like underrated in how we talk about unions. And I think, honestly, the pandemic has—a big part of what the pandemic has made clear is that unions are, as much of anything else, a form of collective self-defense— Right. Exactly. Hell yeah. Because like every day, almost no matter what your job is, your boss is throwing you into dangerous conditions and doesn't give a shit. And now that there's a pandemic everywhere, it really doesn't matter where you work. (laughs) That's true. So like, and then I, that's something that I think we have to take in mind when we consider like what a union even is at this point, it's not just, you know, a a method for trying to slightly rebalance 
those power relations between labor and capital in the workplace, although obviously it is that. It's also literally like our only tool in addition to, you know, organizing for a, a different socioeconomic system of just being like, I would not like to be thrown into the meat grinder today. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, but so uh, workers acknowledged in their announcement that they know that T-Mobile has been an anti-union employee and uh, employer, and they expect to see a lot of pushback, but that they are confident that they will win their union. They said, quote, T-Mobile's culture made it a perfect stronghold against unions for years, but the clear shift to profits over people has changed the perception of many that, of their employees. The TSCA hopes to follow in the footsteps of the brave Starbucks and Amazon workers who have shown us this is possible. We hope not just to secure protection for ourselves, but be the spark that unites T-Mobile's frontline fight for themselves. Yeah. And I mean, just just to reiterate, I mean, the the shift is maybe not so much in the company policy, but in the consciousness of the workers to realize yeah. that this is the way that it has been the whole time. Um, and, uh, you know, not not to to minimize or, or put words in people's mouths. But but if we actually look at the history of this, that is the case. Well, um, I mean, speaking of looking at history and seeing, <laughs> yeah, seeing shifts in things. Let's talk about a particularly <laughs> troubling shift that's happening in the U.S. labor economy right now, which is that many states are rolling back their child labor protections in the face of a so-called labor shortage. We've spent a lot of time on this show poking holes in the concept of a labor shortage because it's fucking ridiculous there are plenty of workers uh but so businesses have decided that now instead of raising wages and making these jobs more appealing to adult workers they would rather just have teenagers who are children come in and do them so we've previously talked about efforts to hire more teens by various companies particularly fast food burger king in particular is a very bad offender at this to avoid having to raise wages and so now instead of doing that they're just like okay let's change the state laws and try and figure out ways in order to make it so that 14 and 15 year olds can work as late as possible. So in her investigation, Sarah Lazar from the American prospect found out that the national federation of independent business, which is a lobbying group that claims to be quote, the voice of small business has been one of the main <laughs> groups trying to get States to roll back their child labor protections. The NFIB presents itself as basically representing mom and pop segments of the petty bourgeoisie, but ultimately they end up lobbying for all the same stuff that the biggest corporations want as well. And so they're supporting le legislation in Ohio, which, if passed, would allow kids to work until 9 p.m. on school nights with parental permission, two hours past the 7 p.m. deadline allowed by the National Fair Labor Standards Act. The bill also includes a resolution calling on Congress to roll back that standard at the national level. <laughs> they really think they can get away with everything, don't they? Yeah, to, it's ridiculous. To allow kids to also work later hours across the country. During testimony supporting this bill in Ohio, a representative for the Ohio Restaurant Association argued that child labor was good because it, quote, saves kids from screen time. I am ah! so mad about this. Like, like holy shit. Uh, I, this also, I mean, with the, the like, oh, the it's the parents' choice to allow the kids to go get exploited is just an extension of the removal of the rights of children and, and how, you know, parents should not have ownership over their children. And I mean, I know that's a slightly more complicated topic, and I don't really want to get too deep into it, but it still makes me so fucking frustrated. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I had like when I was reading about this guy, this guy from the Ohio Restaurant Association about how oh no, we want to do this to help teenagers. I couldn't help but envision him as like an Ellie Valley like caricature cartoon of like you know a vampire from like Salem's Lot like hovering outside some kid's window that's just like. Like, hey, no, we just want to help. Just come work at our store. It'll be great. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, your boss definitely helps you by employing you the same way your landlord helps you by, oh, so graciously giving you a place to live or the way the police help you by shooting at you or your dog <laughs> when you call them. Yeah, yeah, I'm, it's, it's, it, this is one of those developments of neoliberalism where you're just like, I thought some of these, uh, you know, reforms from like a hundred, hundred and fifty years ago were the sorts of lines that, at, at least at a cultural taboo level, might be a bit more difficult to cross. But in a lot of places, seemingly that's not true. Well, mm-hmm. like Dan, there's a labor shortage, and <laughs> and the yeah. kids, they got the little hands, they fit in the looms, <laughs> and we can't have labor shortages. What if I want to go to the store and get some labor, and there isn't any, huh? <laughs> You ever think of that? <laughs> Damn, you know, it's true. Uh, and, and it's not, this is not just an Ohio problem. This is a national issue. Like, mm-hmm. it, Wisconsin state legislature actually passed a similar law expanding the uh, uh, allowable amounts of time that businesses can force children to work. Uh, back in February that would have allowed 14-year-olds to work until 9.30 on school nights or 11 p.m. on non-school nights. Thankfully, that bill was vetoed by Wisconsin's governor, but it remains a goal of their state legislature, and the governor is up for re-election this year. So Mm -hmm. it's very possible that uh, if they end up with a new governor or an even further right-wing legislature with a veto-proof majority, that they could just repass this again. I just want to... I just want people to imagine being a kid with homework where after school you go to work until 9.30 and then you get home at 10 or 10.30 and then you have to get up at 6 in the morning to go and do an early schooling and you at after you get home from work you're supposed to what get your homework done and, and where where is the time for kids to do any of the things and i mean like i'm not i'm actually kind of against homework but still it exists uh and and it is a requirement of children the idea that kids would work until 9 30 is atrocious especially considering a lot of the kids that are forced into working are from families that don't have enough money because one of the reasons I had to work as a kid was because we couldn't afford to pay for heat mm-hmm. in the winter because you know like they I I I paid bills because like things were so tight and the idea that that we're just allowing kids to go in and get exploited like this is a fucking appalling yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, and I mean, on top of all that, in Wisconsin, like you're putting teenagers out on the roads in the snow because it's snowy as fuck during most of the school year mm-hmm. there, and you're gonna make them drive home or get a ride or rely on rides home from their friends and like whoever they can get in touch. It's just ridiculous. Also, that some franchisee can make a little bit of extra money. Yeah, well, and because to your point, Lena, like this is not because that's the the way this is portrayed. It's like it's we're just giving kids the availability to do that. We're not forcing anyone. Yeah, but it's like the 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 kids of the rich are not going to work mm-hmm. till nine thirty at night on school nights, <laughs> even if you make it that 
that that in the law that it, that they can it like by you're only doing this to kids from poor families who have to go and do this work because of the fact that our system thinks that $15 an hour would be a radical wage increase for most of this country even though it would be nowhere near sufficient and again this is not confined to the midwest like new jersey passed a similar law mm-hmm. this year in July, allowing 14-year-olds to work 40 hours a week during the summer and 16-year-olds to work 50 hours a week, which, sadly, that is not actually, uh, like, a shittier law than national-level child labor law. Mm -hmm. That's actually what's allowable in the, the Fair Labor Standards Act. What this new law in New Jersey did was remove better protections that New Jersey had enacted at a state level to cut down on child labor and rolling back to what is allowed by the national bill. Really, functionally, sending the state backwards in time as far as progress on labor rights goes. And just, you know, the rights of kids to be able to be kids and not have to be thrown into this fucking gauntlet. Cause that's the other thing that is never talked about in this. And it wasn't ta- and, and it was so not talked about that. They didn't mention it in any of the stories I read for this. So I didn't write any notes for it, but <laughs> it occurs to me now as we're recording this, that I should have thought about this because as related to the, the stuff we just talked about with T-Mobile, not only are you, you know, by doing this, forcing kids to work later, which is going to impact their performance at school and, of course, impact their health because less sleep is bad for your health mm-hmm. no matter what age you are. And especially when you're a kid, as you're growing, it just compounds that. But in addition, the jobs most of these kids are working are going to be in small, cramped spaces. So not only are kids being having the risk of being exposed to COVID at school because we've rolled back all of our COVID protections. You are now suggesting with these laws that the way that we, what we need to do to help those kids is to then force them into a workplace where they can be harassed by both management and customers in a small cramped environment, putting their risk for getting COVID and then infecting their family, their like, friends at school, potentially teachers and staff at the school, all of this feeds into this vicious cycle of basically societal abandonment as far as like COVID goes. And it all compounds on top of each other. It's I mean, really a nightmare. <laughs> you're, it's not an exaggeration at all. Like it, it really isn't. I mean, my, my brother who is going to be graduating uh, high school this year, uh, literally got COVID at school and brought it home to my immunocompromised father. And, I mean, he's been seeing additional health complications because of it. I mean, it is it is literally just, just that exact thing. And on top of that, they are very poor. And so my brother is often pushed to to get a job and and all that while he is you know struggling in school and, and on top of all that it's just i i mean i just i might have just like a really personal connection to this but it makes me so mad like like beyond like in a way that i don't i don't think i can explain really yeah well i mean it's it's really infuriating and another big part of this that stands out to me is that like 
one, as you said, Dan, students are one of the biggest vectors for COVID spread. And then two, who's the biggest group that's getting employed besides teenagers at places like fast food restaurants and the other places that are doing this? It's very old people who should be retired. So it's almost mm-hmm. like an expressway to transmit the virus directly to some of the most vulnerable vulnerable people in society. And it's really fucking ominous and it's going to have a lot of like crazy down the road effects. And another thing that's really fucking ominous about this is that this NFIB group who is pushing a lot of this legislation uh, does not have to disclose who their members are or who donates to them. And so it's like, you know, who, who is the mom and pop groups that are trying to push this kind of legislation? Don't be fucking surprised if it's the yum foods group and Nestle. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Like just like with so many of these other like political action committees and all the other various legal shells that, that places are able to use to Mm -hmm. do political donations, they can be completely opaque with where their money comes from. So you have all these places that'll put this National Federation of Independent Business sticker on their like thing to be like, look, we represent the little guy. Meanwhile, this this group then goes out. They they supported the Janus decision. Mm-hmm. They're supporting this. They're pro-child labor. They've been in favor of basically every attack on workers' rights since they were formed. So, like, it's a really insidious way of of channeling money towards the what are the causes of the big bourgeoisie but under this appeal to people because so much of u.s culture is so based around this like small business owner like small landowner mindset that they know that that can be a really good way to hide the nefarious aims that they're doing if Mm -hmm. they cloak the shit in that and like again like as we mentioned like there have been a million studies of this like it's not just that we do not want, you know, more workers being exploited and that we don't want the companies to be able to use child labor as a downward wage pressure on everybody else, which is already bad. But it's that this is harmful for kids, like even if they don't get COVID. Like there've been study after study that kids who have to work before they're 18 have worse learning outcomes, they have worse long-term health health outcomes, and yet while we're currently dealing with a disease that has killed over 1 million people in this country, where 4.4 million people right now can't go to fucking work because long COVID has made it so that they can't, you know, continue to function in a way that is profitable, that they can have their surplus value extracted from them. We have now jacked up the way of rate of exposure for kids to this because last summer in 2021, we had the highest level of teen employment over in over a decade with one third of this, the country's teenagers working a job during arguably the most dangerous period in this country's history mm-hmm. to be working a job. Like this is a program of systemic disabling, like on a scale that this country really probably has never seen. And the cavalier attitude with which so many politicians tout this sort of shit, the whole, it'll be good because they won't have to deal with screen time. Who gives a shit if they get COVID and they, they lose, you know, maybe they get COVID like five times because that's the sort of thing that people are facing now. Like mm-hmm. you are talking about like, in addition to facing the possibility of dying from COVID, you also have the potential to be permanently disabled. And every time you get it, it increases your risk of permanent long-term health injury. So like, I really don't think it can be emphasized enough, like how dangerous this sort of stuff is and how it will leave a harmful impact for generations to come. Because this is millions of people who are kids now 
and are going to have their futures mortgaged so that a couple of motherfuckers who happen to own a bunch of Taco Bell franchises can get away with paying their people a couple of dollars an hour less. Mm -hmm. This is completely fucked. It's deranged. Death yeah. to capitalism. Yeah, yeah. well, so. uh, speaking of death to capitalism, should we talk about Starbucks? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's getting to be about that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, of course, another week, another round of Starbucks uh, attacking the shit out of their workers and workers fighting back. So um, we had a really big revelation this week. Also, I just got to think we got to throw a shout out in here to uh, Josh Idelson, who's a reporter at Bloomberg. We referenced his work many times before on the show, but I don't know. It just became very apparent this week. He had story after story after story, like definitely doing some of the best writing out there on the Starbucks Workers United movement right now. And in one of those stories, he broke a pretty big piece of news. Uh, I think probably one of the biggest pieces relating to the legal battle surrounding the Starbucks Workers United campaign, because it came out that a former manager from Buffalo, David Almond, had earlier this year testified under oath before an NLRB he hearing that Starbucks's upper management presented him with a list of pro-union employees who then direct, they directed him to punish for being pro-union. Like, after the company flooded unionizing stores in Buffalo with extra managers, those managers then spied on the workers, assembled a list of those deemed to be in favor of the union, and then gave that list to Almond and recommended that he create false pretexts in order to discipline them. So Almond was quoted in his testimony where one district manager told him to, quote, go through her files. She's a long-term partner. I'm sure there's something in there we can use against her, end quote. Yeah. And Almond also said that corporate management instructed him to make sure there was always a manager in the store to drive down the opportunities for workers to talk amongst themselves. So, saying, quote, she said, this way, the partners won't feel comfortable talking about the union. And if they do, then you should discourage them, end quote. I mean, that's incredibly and damning, honestly. And to come straight from a manager's mouth like that. It's hard to believe that it's not true. And despite this, uh, Starbucks continues to lie to us and everybody and claim that they are not union busting at all. Despite the fact that Almond was incredibly clear when he explained to Starbucks workers why he resigned from the company, saying, quote, I didn't want to do illegal stuff. I've worked my entire life to build up a career of integrity, and I was not going to allow Starbucks to take that from me, which is like... If a Starbucks manager has to quit because they feel like their professional integrity has been breached, it's like they must be being asked to be doing some like pretty pretty opaquely illegal stuff. Not that like Starbucks managers are all horrible people or anything, but it's like a lot of people don't even know labor law. So to yeah. to have somebody realize like, "Hey, <laughs> I know this is illegal and I'm not going to do it." is pretty clear indication to me that like Starbucks th isn't just doing didn't just do this once, but that this is something that's happening all over the country. Certainly. I mean, I've talked about it a couple times about how the Starbucks that I worked at, you did wage theft all the time and knew that it was going on. And when, uh, you know, I tried to end the wage theft, there was, uh, you know, repercussions for my employment around that. I mean, yeah. they, they, they have done this on purpose. They know it's happening and, and they are, I, yeah, power to the workers. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, I, I will say like, just props to, to this, like to, almond like for actually having the integrity to tell the, their upper management no i'm not going to just make up reasons 
to get workers fired because they're pro-union. Because, like, while that is obviously the honest and just thing to do, I, I mean he's the first person that we've seen come out and actually do that. And then to actually testify under oath about it and give us that, like, because this is one of those things we, all of us and everyone listening to this show knows that Starbucks has been illegally disciplining their workers. It's clear as day. It's been reported a million times. We talk, we literally talk about it every week, but it is very, very useful for the union movement to be able to have this stuff entered into evidence officially in a trial Mm -hmm. about this sort of thing because to actually have that testimony from somebody who is a member of management say yes they told me to do this illegal retaliation and they knew exactly what they were doing when they did it like that's really important because as as you mentioned like one of starbucks's whole things whatever shred of pr they have left has been based on this idea that look we're just going about regular company business we're not doing union busting and which again people who are paying attention know that's bullshit but a lot of people don't or they'll just they're not connected to this stuff they don't listen to our show and so like they don't know you know that how widespread this is so i think it's really like that's a really important thing to have there so i just you know i think shout out to the 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 one good manager there just being like no i'm not gonna be a part of this fuck that Mm -hmm. yeah so in addition this week we had more court rulings um on uh wednesday october 12th a judge ruled that starbucks had illegally fired four workers in missouri and kansas and ordered their reinstatement with back pay which that kicks ass uh, this was once again reported from Josh Idelson, where the judge said the company showed, quote, substantial animus, end quote, towards pro-union workers. Um, he said that the company broke the law by abusing its dress code policy to fabricate a reason to fire pro-union workers and that the company had used illegal intimidation by asking police to disperse a picket line. Oh, so, cool. How much does Starbucks have to pay? Uh, well, just the back pay. Oh, for the workers God damn it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, so no repercussions. Yeah, because, uh, like, look, what, we're very glad these workers got their jobs back. I genuinely, I think we all agree, we genuinely hope that every single worker who has been illegally fired by Starbucks gets their job back through one of these, you know, sorts of rulings. Mm-hmm. The thing, though, that is so frustrating is that, again, this is, we're now at about a dozen workers, I believe, total, who have gotten their jobs back through rulings like this, and we know there have been over 100 people fired. So, like, it's... Look, I appreciate the people on the NLRB who are doing these these cases. It's good. It's important work. I'm glad that they're doing it. But, like, it's showing the inherent limitations of a system of, of, of depending on the system that is itself oppressing you to solve the problems of that oppression. Right. So, like, I, and again, the only reason that these workers are even getting their jobs back is because of the pressure of the direct action of the workers involved in the Starbucks Workers United movement, which is why I think it's so good that we continue to see the sorts of pushback that we do from the workers. Because... <sighs> This stuff just keeps happening because, like, in addition, this past week, not only did we see, you know, more uh, pushback against the workers just, like, individually, we've also seen Starbucks' forms of collective punishment continue where they have now decided to close two more of their stores for so-called safety concerns. Uh, First, there's a store in Colorado Springs. This is the Brookside and Nevada location, which is going to be closed on October 23rd, which is an interesting date that they chose to close the store because on October 24th, they were scheduled to have their first bargaining session with Mm. the union at that store. 
Uh, now that store will not exist on October 24th, so they don't have to do that. So uh, that makes will make the store, uh, when that closes uh, next uh, this Sunday, that will be the ninth store in the last few months closed because they unionized. And then one week later, they will be joined by the Bryn Mawr Avenue location in Chicago, which organized back in May. Once again, the company is claiming that safety concerns are causing them to close this store, which will be the 10th union store closed in the last few months as part of Starbucks' scorched earth campaign against the union. Uh, workers that the Chicago Sun-Times talked to did say there have been security issues at the store, but that they had been talking to management about ways to address those, none of which were closing the store. Uh, and one worker, RJ, told the Chicago Sun-Times, quote, the biggest problem with this decision is the fact that it is quite literally busting our union, end quote. Yeah, and it's also just like, this is one of the most glaring things that's very obviously illegal is to just close stores that are unionizing and it's really really hard for me to this is just another one of those things that makes it hard for me to have any faith in the liberal system that's supposed to be administrating right. all of this because it's like uh, if you had even an ounce of you know real intent to protect workers you would have busted starbucks for this incredibly flagrant union busting i don't know at the beginning of this year when all of this yeah. kicked off <laughs> yeah Absolutely. I mean, like it's, and cause that's the thing, like they have the perfect out, like the, the whole security concerns, the Democrats enable that stuff when they, when they lean into this idea that there's a crime wave across the country, which again is not true. Mm -hmm. And that we need more cops again, not true. We need the opposite of that. We need no cops. And so by leaning into that message, it basically makes it impossible for them to then come back, even if they wanted to and, and question this security thing, because it, it's, it's in the same way that, you know, if you try to sue the government for something, they can just come in and say, oh, we can't give you the information you're trying to get because national security. And then nothing happens because, again, the liberal state has no investigation, no, no interest in investigating itself. In the same case here, the, the bourgeois state has no interest in going after Starbucks. And so they can very easily just come back and say, well, look. They said it was for crime, and there's cr crime in the city you're in exists, so we can't say that they closed the store just to bust the union, which is, you know, as we all know, nonsense. Yeah, well, and I mean, allegations of crime uh, have been wielded in a variety of ways. If we remember, <laughs> yes. there were some workers who, uh, when they marched on the boss at a store in Anderson, South Carolina, were actually charged with kidnapping and assault charges because yeah. it was claimed by the company that they tried to kidnap and assault the store's manager. Uh, and so now they're filing defamation charges against the company, which is honestly probably an incredibly strong way to go. Uh, yeah. And then workers also continued striking against Starbucks illegal campaign in Buffalo this week when four stores there struck uh, in response to the firing of Will Westlake for wearing that suicide awareness pin that we talked about, I believe, just last week, yeah. amongst many other illegal measures that the company has taken. Yeah. And Starbucks has been trying to pick customers against workers by leaving mobile orders on while workers are on strike basically mm -hmm. making it so that customers come up and are like hey i put in an order I blah, blah, blah. and it's like yo the company was informed of the strike and they mm -hmm. specifically left this on so that there would be a level of tension between the customers and the workers Though I, I don't think that this always works as the case because very often when people walk up and see a uh, picket line, they are pretty understanding. Yeah. And so like, because to that point, like Michelle Eisen, 
uh, who I think we've mentioned before, she's a worker organizer in Buffalo, it told a local news station, WIVB, exactly that, quote, my suspicion is that they were turning them on just long enough to give us a backlog of orders so that when we were starting our picketing, you know, there was a few dozen customers who had just placed orders who were now coming up and being upset, end quote. However, if some of those workers tried to show up on Wednesday, October 12th, in, while they may not have gotten uh, the drink that they ordered, they might have actually gotten a free concert. Because uh, one thing that was really cool that did happen this week and something I definitely wanted to to finish out on is British folk singer Billy Bragg, who has been doing, I guess he's on tour in, in North America right now. He had heard about the Starbucks workers being on strike and he just showed up on, on Wednesday and gave a free sidewalk concert outside the Elmwood Ave store in support of the workers, which was the pictures of, and the video of it are fucking great. Cause you, it's like, it's, there's no big stage. There's nothing set up. He just showed up and, and played a bunch of songs and like a couple hundred people from the community came out to support the workers. It was very, very heartwarming to see. And, and that was one of those things that I think is so important because like Starbucks can do this stupid petty bullshit where they're like, aha, we were going to leave mobile ordering on and the customers will get mad. And it's like, well, okay. Yeah. Maybe a couple of people will get annoyed by that for five minutes and then forget about it with the next more annoying thing that happens to them that day. But I think that, that what is going to make a lot more of an impact on people is the consist, the consistent solidarity shown by the workers in Buffalo to each other and to the broader working class community in the area and doing stuff like this and actually having opportunities where you have like a, a pro a worker person like Billy Bragg or like how, you know, Tom Morello went down mm-hmm. to Alabama to support the, the striking workers at warrior met. Like, this is where I think you really get to see the fact that it's like the community supports these folks. And yeah, you may get a few cranks who get annoyed when you do stupid stunts, like leaving mobile ordering on, but like ultimately folks come up and, and as you, as you were saying, like they see a picket line and they're like, Oh, Oh, Okay. Well, Starbucks is just fucking stupid. Yeah, fuck <laughs> but, Starbucks. Hey, look, it's, it's not it's, it's not the workers' fault. It's Billy Bragg. He did an album with Wilco. My mom knows who he is. All right, yeah. we might be going somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was a really great thing to see. Yeah, Hell yeah, absolutely. Well, my cortisol levels have been through the roof lately. I think that we need a little bit of a vibe shift. Uh, we should move directly into the meme review, where yeah. this first one. Uh, is by someone with the tag with the the Twitter name. Well, I guess uh, I don't. Oh, the display name. But the display name, right, right. Uh, Barnes and Noble copy copy of the Beatles one on vinyl, which I think is just a very funny, <laughs> silly, uh, <laughs> like uh, display name. Hell yeah, but, it whips. Uh, Shout out to Alexander Edward from Minion Death Cult. That guy's so fucking funny. I love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I I don't know. I put this one in here because I saw it the other day and it's extremely funny. So like, um, <laughs> it's just a it's a picture of like one of those placards on how to lift stuff. Pro- proper so lifting technique. I love proper mm-hmm. lifting technique memes. Yeah, and so it's got the it's got a it's got prevent workplace injury, and then it's got the 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 guy picking up like a a, a big sack of potatoes or whatever and lifting from the back. And it's just like, no. And then the other one where he's got much better posture lifting from the legs. And it's like, yes, but also so just to be clear, work- they are different people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it says prevent workplace injury, make the supervisor do it and then file a grievance. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hell yeah. uh, I love that. It's like, I, can you help me with this? I'm sorry. This is a violation of the contract. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love that one. 
Yeah, this next one is a uh, screenshot of a video game where the Joker in does it does anybody know what exactly? I just know that it was shared in the Discord. One of the old Batman uh, yeah. games, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's from. Yeah, well, apparently this is a, a like a text box with the Joker's you know picture basically saying that he's saying this. And he goes, uh, "Capital punishment." Oh, you mean Western society? And it's like. <laughs> I love that. I love that that works on a couple levels. Yeah. Yeah. I also love it because uh, there's a there's a meme page on Facebook I think that's called images that can be edited onto the cover of Capital Volume One for humorous effect. <laughs> and I feel like this is more like images that can be edited onto the cover of Discipline and Punish for humorous effect, which is also pretty <laughs> funny to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, then we got your uh, got your uh, Twin Peaks meme, right? Yeah, well, so, David Lynch at least. It's the uh, it's got the red curtain. That's why that's I assumed true. it was Twin Peaks. That's true. Yeah, I think this is from Twin Peaks. But yeah, I I I just love that picture. So you can put like any meme caption on this picture, and I will probably love this meme. It's happening again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so this is yeah. It's it's you got David Lynch sitting there in his director chair on the the set of I think Twin Peaks. <laughs> And it's captioned, capitalism, every four to seven years. And so it's him yelling at the crew, okay, let's try that again, but this time good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is uh, basically highlighting the consistent failures of capitalism, the downturns that inevitably happen, the um, economic crisis that is perpetual uh, through the capitalist system, and how somehow capitalism thinks, no, we will do it better next time. Trust me, bro. This one's different. <laughs> this 2008 yeah, financial right. crash is going to be so great. You just trust me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's right. Uh, uh, and this, this next one uh, is, I don't know, I, I feel like I was kind of grasping for memes a little bit because I was actually populating this kind of uh, this morning before we were recording. But um, it's just a, a little photo of someone, like presumably a manager, uh, talking to a worker sitting at their computer, and um, it just says, "My boss," uh, and with you know basically implying that the boss is saying, "The boss, uh, the, uh, my boss, you're fired." Me pauses Netflix. Why? <laughs> Which <laughs> I think it's funny because I I like the idea that you're reclaiming your your time and uh, that it feels like you have not done anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is one that I couldn't quite tell like what the intention of the person who made it was because like I'm all for from the worker's perspective not respecting your job mm-hmm. <laughs> because it probably doesn't matter and your boss is exploiting you. So if you're watching Netflix on the job, good for you. Like you are reclaiming some of your stolen surplus value. But I feel like there's a decent chance that the person who made it was like, oh, all these like workers who got used to to goofing off working from home and now they're just coming into the office and trying to get away with watching Netflix good for them (laughs) yes absolutely like i think it's funny either way but it was hard to tell the intention on that one yeah Yeah. it just makes me miss my parking job where i could watch netflix if i wanted to i can do it at my job now but i have to do it on my phone and carry my phone around with me not as much fun uh (laughs) speaking of getting away with shit at the job uh the next uh, the last meme we have is just a one-panel comic with two workers wearing orange aprons in the foreground, 
And then in the background, you have two workers, but one of them's driving a like a lift truck, like a forklift or a high low. And then another worker is like surfing on one of the tongs, yeah. one of the forks <laughs> of the high low, which is uh, <laughs> pretty tight. And then the two workers in the front, one of them says to the other, uh, management wants us to dress up on Halloween. Help me think up a really scary costume. And then the other worker says, to scare management? A union. <laughs> it's Hell like, yeah. That's right. I, I do love this, but my only nitpick is how the fuck do you dress up as a union? <laughs> Look at me. I'm everyone who works here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you got everyone to dress up the same way, I think that even if it wasn't specifically union related, you would scare the bosses. I mean, collective action in oh. any form would be really terrifying no. to them. See, I just love this idea as like a way to be coy about talking about organizing. Just being like, oh man, can you guys imagine if we all <laughs> dressed up with like union gear and we came in and then we also told the boss we had all these demands and actually we're going on strike. Oh, they'd be so, ha, ha, they'd be so mad. JK, It'd be so funny. Okay, but what if? I have a Unless. really funny group costume <laughs> idea. I printed up all these Lyft Truck Drivers United shirts. Do you guys want to wear them and maybe sign a card? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is fucking hilarious. Uh, and with that, we will wrap this episode. I want to thank everyone who supports the show. And if you would like to support us and, you know, a lot, it's what allows us to do this because we're entirely listener supported. You can do that at patreon.com slash workstoppage and give us $5 a month. You can hear a Billy Bragg song at the end of one of our most recent movie time episodes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you can jump in the Discord and hang out with us. And if you can't afford to become a patron, go ahead and message one of the admins. We are happy to hook people up who cannot afford to support the show but still want some of this awesome education that we try to provide in our overtime and Patreon content. And, you know, also with that, we really want to encourage people to write good reviews of us, five stars, literally everywhere. Again, like carve it into a pumpkin and put it on your front porch. Ooh, a um, spooky review. Yeah, that's right. Uh, follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever, y'all. Solidarity, everybody. Solidarity, everyone.